Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Prakash Ramchandran, CFO of Polyera Corporation, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 223. How as a finance leader are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Suk Shah, CFO of Avant, a fast-growing online lender. Recently, the last 10 days, there's been a lot of turmoil in our space, particularly with the resignation of the CEO of Lending Club. Um, and, you know, we think that that, in some ways, obviously is not good for the market, but it will continue to shine a bright light onto why the Avant philosophy, no fees, in-house servicing, balance sheet model is really the right way to win in the future. Because if you subscribe to this view that over the next two, five, seven, ten years, that there's going to be a one-way migration to technology-enabled online banking and credit products, then Avant's going to be the winner. And that's our view. Listen to our complete interview with Souk after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hello, we're speaking to Suk Shah, CFO of Avant, a fast-growing online lender that's valued today at $2 billion. Suk, welcome. Thanks, Jack, for having me. So we want to learn uh, a little bit about uh, this type of lending model that you've created here. But first, if we can begin where we always uh, do, which is to discover what were those milestones that uh, helped prepare you for a CFO role? Yeah, sure. I started my career at GE, spent almost nine years there, um, and they had a really good training ground for corporate finance professionals. Um, you know, their programs, whether it be uh, the FMP program or the audit staff program, really nurtured um, really good finance professionals that, you know, ask good questions, were good partners to the business, were involved in strategy. Um, and so that was a really good training ground for me. Um, and that helped me propel, you know, my career into various levels of responsibility while I was at. Uh, General Electric, and then onward uh, to HSBC, uh, where I took effectively my first CFO role uh, as the CFO of commercial banking um, in, in HSBC's North America division, which, uh, from an oversight perspective, had management of about 40 billion in assets 
and $40 billion in deposits um, in the U.S., Canada, and Bermuda in terms of jurisdictions. I came to Avant uh, about two years ago really to uh, take that knowledge and expertise and apply it to more of an entrepreneurial sort of new fast growing technology enabled institution that was providing you know reliable responsible consumer credit for middle income consumers uh that you know effectively were underbanked or didn't have access to credit so you know to answer your question it was really the breeding ground of 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 leveraging the GE network and just having a knack for um, you know, numbers and, and, and obviously a commercial sense for businesses. So illustrate for us your two different worlds here. The first one being where most of your career has been spent in sort of large corporate environments. And now the new world, this rather entrepreneurial one. Yeah, no, it was definitely a lot more entrepreneurial. I mean, when I was at HSBC, you know, the company had over 300,000 employees. My division specifically had over 3,500 people in the U.S., uh, Canada, and Bermuda. And when I came to Avant, we were a team of 85. Um, you know, we were just getting started. And, uh, you know, there was definitely a dichotomy between established governance, established processes, a very strict and standard way of doing things versus speed, um, execution, the ability to be nimble, change things, um, you know, or, or make decisions quickly and efficiently and react. And so that was the key difference, you know, for me. And And coming from a culture like GE, where they did that really well, both from a flexibility and entrepreneurial standpoint, but still having strong, good processes allowed me to flex up and flex down to build the right infrastructure, create the right level of controls and compliance, but at the same time, take advantage of a pretty new industry take advantage of, you know, obviously internally having the ability to be nimble to make really, you know, really good decisions very quickly. So that was the big difference. I think the other thing is, you know, in the startup economy, um, you know, I was probably at Avant, you know, one of the oldest guys here, whereas, you know, we had very good, young, up-and-coming, uh, you know, investment bankers, software developers, you know, really people that were looking for change, um, whereas, you know, in established institutions, you have, you know, great individuals, but rocks, you know, people that have been there for 15, 20, and 25 years. So definitely a lot to get used to, um, but a very fun, energetic, and exciting transition, uh, you know, particularly for me as more and more regular regulation, more and more, uh, you know, bureaucracy kind of came down on those larger institutions, if you will. And not that either one is bad or good. They're just different. And for me, where I was in my career, it was a really fun change. So was this always part of the plan then to take this uh, sort of entrepreneurial leap? Um, look, I mean, I think the answer, Jack, to your, to your question is, you know, I, I started like all of us did kind of out of school, really looking for a challenge and wanting to do something that um, was fun. It was exciting and it was different. 
And, you know, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, what do I want to be when you grow up or when I grow up? The answer is, I don't know. And if you answer, if you ask me that question right now, hey, Suk, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm 35. I still think the answer is, I don't know. And for me, it wasn't because I necessarily had an entrepreneurial spirit. It wasn't because necessarily, you know, I wanted to distance myself from one place or another. It was really, you know, like all of us do, you know, we have a professional life and a social or personal life. And in my professional career, um, I've always wanted to challenge. I've always wanted to do something different. And I always wanted to be part of something that I believed in. And, um, you know, when I saw an opportunity to come to Avant or HSBC, you know, I saw all that. And, um, you know, good or bad, I mean, that, that's just how I've always been, right? And that doesn't mean I'm leaving Avant tomorrow. But, you know, I think we're always living life for one goal in mind, which is, you know, you got to do what makes you happy and you got to do what challenges you. And, you know, for me, this was the path. Let's talk about Avant and the competitive landscape that's out there and what is setting apart its products or services today. What, what, what's this firm's competitive edge? Yeah, so, um, you know, Avant founded at the end of 2012, early 2013, really with a simple mission. And that mission is how do we help to, you know, how do we help Americans um, and other uh, folks around the world lower the cost and barriers of borrowing. And the thesis, you know, was quite simple. Coming out of the Great Recession, a lot of the banks and financial institutions were looking at, you know, this particular demographic of consumers that maybe didn't fit the quality of their, um, you know, the capital requirement or the regulatory requirement, they were no longer going to get access to credit. And, you know, their only access to credit going forward was going to be, in our view, you know, higher rate, you know, brick and mortar payday type lending, um, which can be dangerous, can be predatory um, and quite honestly, you know, not helpful for this consumer, uh, you know, to grow over time. And so Avant's mission was how do we go help the 50% of Americans that cannot find $2,000 to support a, you know, emergency, whether it be a car repair or, um, you know, a family emergency or medical emergency, you know, how do we bring that to the front and center of, um, you know, uh, of what problem we're trying to solve? Because all we're trying to do is, you know, disrupt and, uh, you know, effectively solve, uh, you know, financial problems or the financial system that potentially is broken. And so that's the vision. That's the mission. How do we provide simple, efficient, reliable credit products to middle income consumers that just don't have access to it anymore? And uh, we do it in a way to answer your question around why we're different that is transparent. And so what do I mean by that? We don't charge any fees, no origination fees, no prepayment penalties. There are a lot of other lenders out there um, that do. 
And, uh, you know, we think that over time, given where the regulation is, given where the CFPB, the, you know, the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau and others is the right way. If you have the customer in mind at all times is to have a clean and transparent product. Uh, and so that's what we've built. And so I think that's a huge differentiator for us. Number two is that we have and do all of uh, our servicing in-house. Um, and so that means that when you have a question about your bill, you have a question about your payment plan, um, you can reach us 24-7, 365, uh, online, mobile, technology-enabled, where you, we will resolve your issues or questions at any time. And that is very different than calling somebody and listening to an automated service, as I'm sure you have, Jack, which obviously boils my blood. I'm sure it does many. Uh, and so we're trying to improve the customer experience soup to nuts, which allows us to have, you know, a very, very high customer satisfaction score. And then the third thing, which is a little bit, um, you know, transparent to the customer because they really don't know, but we have a model that we've built where we utilize our own balance sheet relative to some of the other competitors that have occupied this space recently, which they just originate to sell loans to other investors. Um, and, uh, you know, more recently, the last 10 days, there's been a lot of turmoil in our space, particularly with the resignation of the CEO of Lending Club. Um, and, you know, we think that that in some ways, obviously, is not good for the market, but it will continue to shine a bright light onto why the Avant philosophy, no fees, in-house servicing, balance sheet model is really the right way to win in the future. Because if you subscribe to this view that over the next two, five, seven, ten years, that there's going to be a one-way migration to technology-enabled online banking and credit products, then Avant's going to be the winner. And that's our view. So what are the important metrics that you pay closest attention to? So really, in our role and in my role particularly, you know, there's three main risks that we manage on a day-to-day -day basis, among others. Um, you know, number one is obviously credit risk. You know, we're largely, um, you know, an unsecured and to a certain extent a secured lender. Um, but we lend money to people and we try to price risk appropriately. And so, you know, obviously one of the key metrics that we constantly look at are credit related performance metrics, delinquencies, charge-offs, collection rates, and so on and so forth. Um, if there's a deviation to our expectations, we need to react, um, both in a positive way or, you know, kind of the other way, right? We, we don't want to overprice customers, but we don't want to misprice risk either. And so that's obviously a very important part of our business. The second large risk in our, in our industry and in our business is liquidity and capital. And so that means, you know, uh, daily and weekly and monthly cash forecasting and understanding, you know, how much of the balance sheet I can turn and how much cash do I have to grow relative to, uh, you know, the expectations of leverage and equity that we have on our balance sheet. And so, um, you know, that's obviously, you know, critical risk number two. And then the third key thing is regulatory and compliance. And so what I mean by that is, 
you know, uh, how are we tracking things like complaints or consumer issues or customer credits? Um, and that is the single most important frontline thing that we can do to make sure that our operational processes uh, in our call center, in our treasury, in our accounting are all working as expected. So if you can have, if we can have a handle around the key metrics around these three areas, then we've you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, have a pretty good understanding of where to expect the business to perform, not only from an operational standpoint, from also from a financial standpoint. What's interesting about your career is that the downturn, if I'm not mistaken here, <laughs> came sort of smack in the middle of it to date. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not fishing for a downturn uh, anecdote necessarily, but I think it's interesting uh, that uh, in, a, in a meaningful way, it probably uh, punctuated or impacted your career. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, six to eight years ago when we were rolling through the Great Recession and I was at GE, um, at that time, and you know, obviously there were a lot of things going on. Given that capital was a bank, and it was one of those, you know, um, you know, one of those guys that didn't have a ton of trouble, but nonetheless, very, very much, you know, in the middle of things. Um, I, I think the key thing that I learned, Jack, was you can't have fear, right? Because I think fear creates regression. And instead, if you have the courage to make a decision and put a stake in the ground and take action, you can be more the better. And in tough times, um, and in good times, but especially in tough times, it's that courage piece that's needed even more. Because what most people want is they want someone to look at to say, okay, I'm scared, what do I do? And you don't necessarily want to be in a position of fear. You want to be in a position of, you know, to, you know, to demonstrate courage. And you look, you may not make the right decision, um, but at least you made a decision that was based on positive data and positive analytics. And you had a thought process that, made sense because you're smart, you're intelligent, and you've been around the block. And so that was the biggest epiphany is, you know, it really cuts the good people from the not so good people when, you know, you know, the guy or the gal that's going to step up and make a call and demonstrate, especially in tough times, that that courage exists. Um, in terms of where we have today and how that shaped my career, you know, I think, I think it has, you know, I think, I, you know, I, I was in a position when I was at GE where we had to wind down a business um, and make some tough calls, and that involved, you know, personnel decisions that you know were, were not fun, were not good, and um, you know, I think that builds character, that builds resiliency. Um, it takes a little bit of the emotion out of it, even though emotion is important. And um, you know, look at the end of the day, people make everything personal, professional, you name it. Um, and as long as there's an appreciation for your people, wherever you are, whether they're your, peer, your peers, your subordinates, or your managers, um, I think you're going to be fine. So that was my great epiphany, if that helps. Can you tell us a little bit about your workforce philosophy and the, the priorities you might have uh, when it comes to your workforce and hiring and compensation? 
So today at Avant, we have about, um, you know, anywhere between 800 and 850 individuals. Um, and, and, and that's kind of spans, uh, you know, a variety of functions, including finance, capital markets, marketing, IT, software engineering, you know, you kind of name it, our operations team. And, um, you know, there's a level of, you know, kind of the staff that, if you will, is, is kind of the core and the guts, if you will, you know, kind of base level. And then there's a staff that flexes up and down that's variable. And that variable for us is, you know, the the, the level or the volume of originations. Um, and, and, and so that's how we figure out, you know, kind of our staffing levels, where we need to be. Um, you know, in terms of how we look at things, uh, you know, in terms of recruiting or, or, or individuals, um, you know, our big thing is, you know, we're looking, number one, for fit. You know, do you fit our culture? Number two, intelligence. Uh, and number three, work ethic. And if you can combine all these three together uh, and, you know, you have a passion and a fabric to really believe in what we're doing for the customer, then you can be a great part of Avant. And, um, you know, that's how we think about our workforce. In terms of, you know, how we are growing and, and empowering and training our, our young team, it's all about coaching. It's all about mentoring. It's all about having these types of conversations. It's all about over-communication and ensuring that people have a career path. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier to you, we have a pretty young team and, uh, you know, everyone's hungry because they're all, you know, star performers. And you don't want a business that has all alphas because you've got to have a complementary scenario of, of individuals. Um, but we have high-performing teams, so people get the opportunity to get early promotions. They look at the compensation structure, and we're allowed to, you know, be close to market, even though we don't pay to market today, given the fact that we've only been around for three years and are not in a position yet, uh, you know, to pay like a public company may pay. So we're looking and thinking of all the right things. Um, our attrition rates have been low, and uh, you know we think that we do a good job of preserving the best talent uh, that really believes in the product that we're offering to consumers. I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about your own finance team and the types of skill sets that are represented on it today. Are you looking to add skills where you never expected to when you first arrived? Has the you know the creation of a finance team evolved? Yeah, that's a good question, Jack. I think um, in my previous roles, HSBC and, you know, a lot of companies, you know, have kind of a similar mindset. You know, in order to be a CFO, you have to have a chartered accountancy, well, a CPA, um, a CFA, an MBA, or, you know, any letters you want to come up with. And, you know, I think things have changed and the world has moved on. And I look at talent, regardless if you're an accounting background or a capital markets background or FP&A, treasury, um, on an access. And then that access is on the X-axis, is call it E, and I call it experience. And A, which is on the Y-axis, which is athlete. And really what my role is, Jack, is to go find all the A's. Because the E can be learned. If you're resourceful enough, if you are a good fit, 
if you have a good personality and you're collaborative and you have the characteristics of being a top-notch athlete, a Michael Jordan, then the E can be taught. It can be learned, and it's not going anywhere. But it's the A that's in rare demand. And I think a lot of old-school employers will make, I don't want to call it a mistake, but there's more emphasis on the E and just not enough on the A. And I think the A wins over time, and that's what I look for. Okay, we're now going to enter the mentoring round where we ask you several quick questions uh, intended to have your answers inspire aspiring finance leaders. Have you had a mentor or ha- mentors along the way? Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, when I was at GE, one of the interesting things in my role was, you know, every six to 12 or, you know, 18 months, depending on the role, you know, you'd have, you'd have a new boss. You'd have effectively a, a new person that you reported into. And, um, you know, there's good things, obviously, that you learn, and there's other things that you don't learn. And, you know, I think you got to latch on to the good things and the good folks. Um, and so I, in particular, do have um, uh, two mentors uh, from my prior GE days, one mentor from my prior HSBC day, where, you know, we kind of continue dialogue, kind of shoot, you know, some ideas off each other, uh, ask for advice, and, um, you know, really do some scenario play. Outs, right? What would you do in a tough situation like this? Um, and so I think mentors are important, if anything, more to just have a network and uh, ensure that there's an outlet for you outside of your day-to-day professional life, um, you know, to have a conversation with someone and not not your wife or someone that is your friend, but someone that kind of really knows the space and, you know, understands day-to-day some of the decision-making that could be difficult. Uh, and so I do think mentors are important, and um, there's no time, good or bad, or too early or too late to get them going. Now, what is that piece of advice you wish someone had shared with you before you entered the CFO role at Avant? You know, I don't know if it was before the CFO role or just in general, but, you know, I think, you know, my view and advice I could have had, you know, I think valuable advice is be yourself, right? Be who you are. You know, everyone's got strengths. Everyone's got development opportunities. And uh, certain things are innate. That's kind of who you are, how you're born, what your personality is like. And uh, other things can be learned, traits, um, things like maybe work ethic or experience, you know, specific technical things. Um, But you can't change who you are. And, you know, if you find yourself in a role that you're having difficulty in, it's not you. It's just the role's probably not good for you. And, um, you know, that could go up and down the ladder, whether you're an accountant or a controller or a treasurer or if you're the CFO. And, uh, you know, I think... What you don't want to do is you want to find that out sooner than later, where you fit in into this thing called a personal, you know, professional career. Uh, you don't want to be too down the path where trying to make a change after 25 years of experience, uh, that's going to be hard. And so uh, just, just, just follow your heart and know what you want to do and be yourself. Do you have a personal habit you believe has contributed to your professional success? You know, my habit, Jack, um, it isn't just one thing. You know, I, I think um, I feel like openness, honesty, 
communication, being who you are, are all important. I think my quirky thing is, um, you know, I kind of have a list of things to do. It's a little Excel file that, uh, you know, I keep open kind of 24-7, 365, and it's got a uh, a personal kind of list and a professional list. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get itchy that I need to kind of knock three things off that list, uh, both professional and personal on a daily basis. And um, I think that shows, you know, initiative. It's making sure that the priorities are right, making sure that we're not wasting too much time. Um, and so a lot of that is just that. It's just kind of keeping tabs and ensuring that, you know, uh, you know, I get that list down. It never has gone blank. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but man, am I trying. <laughs> is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? You know, Chuck, I, I, I think uh, there's a ton of books out there. I like reading about a lot of things. I recently read um, a book, uh, which is, I, I guess there was a movie that was made out of it, which I, I saw the movie first, but Jordan Belfort, um, you know, Wolf on Wall Street. And uh, I was intrigued by the movie and obviously all the things going on with, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the regulatory crisis after 08, 09. And so it's about a 700 page book of memoirs. And, um, you know, just is an interesting dichotomy between that world of high finance in the 80s and 90s and today's sort of fiduciary responsibility, not only for CFOs, but just for businessmen. And um, you can kind of see the trials and tribulation that Jordan goes through, uh, and not all ends well for him, but it's just a reminder of the day and the age that we live in today. So it's a good read. It's very entertaining. Um, obviously, if you've seen the movie, it's, 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 it's definitely uh, uh, one, you know, one one that people have seen, but I did like that book. I would recommend it. It's an interesting uh, story on ethics. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Um, develop my people, understand what's, you know, uh, to understand what's important, what's critical, um, you know, ensuring that they're stepping up, leading, taking the at right action, and, uh, you know, they're progressing on their career goals and developments. Um, you know, that's paramount for me. Uh, number two is helping our CEO and our president and CEO run the business, hit key metrics, hold people accountable, ensure that we are managing to the appropriate targets, and if we're deviating, fix the course. Uh, and then number three is to make sure that we've got a good work-life balance. You know, I think you can um, overdo it a ton, um, you know, if you want to. There's never enough hours in the day. And uh, one thing that I've learned to appreciate is uh, that, um, you know, life's short. 
and you know it's important that uh you know you take care of yourself and so that's really what I'm focused on in 2016 Sue Shaw thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader No problem I'm happy to uh, be a guest Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's listener's choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening. <laughs>